Um, okay, Acts 4. We're going to jump in. It's, it's good to be back with you. Last weekend, my family snuck away for a night before we went back to school. And we did go back to school this week, didn't we? Like, we made it. <laughs> Teachers, parents, we made it. You had like four first days of school this week in this weird post-apocalyptic version of 2020 where we have... I jotted it down this morning. We've had a global pandemic. We've had civil unrest. We've had swarms of locusts. Did you know that? We've had murder hornets. We've had out-of-control fires in California, California, the loss of Kobe Bryant, Chadwick Boseman, and even they killed off Mr. Peanut, I saw this morning in 2020. We made it back to school in the midst of all that, so give yourselves a hand. Um, I even... I even had my first day after, I won't tell you how many years, back at middle school. I, w- I went back to middle school this week. I got to start my position as the, the communities and schools site coordinator there, and um, it was a blast. I, you know what I got to do? I got to hang out for lunch duty, and I got to eat a pepperoni roll. Yes. Not twice, because I didn't know that, but I did stir up some controversy among the kids, because I asked one group of kids, I was like, listen... If you're here two days a week and they only do pepperoni rolls on one day, what happens? And these little seventh grade boys just had instantaneous panic. Like, surely they will give me my pepperoni roll. And and here's what else I did while I was on lunch duty. I I sat there and relived my own middle school lunchroom experience, except this time it was even crazier. Like for me, when I was in sixth or eighth grade, the goal getting into the lunchroom, and I know you'll resonate with this, was to just find a spot quickly. But it's got to be the right spot. It's got to be among the coolest kids. And the goal was don't stand out, don't look stupid, right? But don't disappear. You got to walk to that fine line of getting in. And that was crazy enough for me back in whatever year that was. Now this time, this year, it's crazier, right? Because there's so many social distancing rules that these kids have to follow. Like you can't sit directly beside somebody and you also can't sit directly across from somebody. So it's this zigzag up the tables, but you still got to think about when you sit, where you sit, who you're sitting with, the cool table, but the cool social distance table. You got to put a mask on when you get up. You, you got to remember to take your mask off when you eat. I had to show a sixth grader, like he grabbed his food and I was like, take your mask off. <laughs> it was so great. They got to remember their student ID numbers they got to find the cool kids. And by the way, all the cool kids are wearing a mask. So it's like they're hiding, right? It's absolutely wild. Don't stand out. Don't disappear. I felt so bad for these kids. And I realized something as I was watching this happen. Like I realized something we all know, but we often forget. Like in our world, and especially middle school world, there are influencers, right? There are those who, who influence. I, I want you to think about this. Who was it? for you? Who, who was the person or who were the people that were the coolest, the trendiest, who had the most influence in your middle school lunchroom? Man, this week it was so evident. I didn't know any of these kids, but I could pick out the influencers in a heartbeat, like just a glance around the room you knew. But, but you know, I started thinking about my own middle school experience. And while I remember just, I mean, I would say the lunchroom awkwardness, but my entire middle school, I was awkward. Like that's just what happened. I can't remember who the influencers were. Like, I really can't. I, I remember I wanted to sit in the, the cool places, the influential places, but I wanted to be identified with that group. But for the life of me, I can't remember who they were. Not one name. And that may be because I turned 40 this year. I'm not sure. Um, but I wonder if, if you can. I know there were influencers, but I can't remember 
who they were. And I got to thinking about that this week. And, and it's funny how some of our, our middle school fixations don't go away, right? Like we're still consumed as adults with the influencers around us, aren't we? I, I was researching a little bit and I found a list of the top influencers on Instagram. You can Google anything, right? And they, they considered these the folks to be the major influencers because of how many people engaged with them on social media. Like one statistic I read said that Instagram gets like one billion unique users per day. That's, that's how much of our population is, is engaging. And each of these influential Instagrammers have like 200 million followers. So put this together in the math. Like 20% of the world that logs on Instagram is following these posts, these people, listening to what they have to say, reading what they post, seeing their pictures. So I was fascinated. I was like, who are the major influencers? Are you ready? You ready to hear who the world's influencers are? Kylie Jenner, Kim Kardashian. Some of you are like, I got nothing. I don't know who these people are. I'll explain it in a minute. Kendall Jenner. Those are like top three. Ariana Grande, Selena Gomez, Leo Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo. Here's what this boils down to. You got three Kardashians, two singers, and two soccer players. Isn't that awesome? That's who Google considers to be the top influencers in our social media world. And here's the thing. I don't care if you're shaking your head. 200 million other people agree. Like, that's the reality, right? And I don't know much about any of these folks, so I don't say this critically, but here's my impression. Just speaking honestly, besides looks, I can't figure out what these folks are influencing. Like, I have no idea what direction they're giving to our world. Like, I expected to see politicians or thinkers, tech wizards, economic giants, medicine, whatever, world leaders, but nothing. Three Kardashians, two singers, two soccer players, and a partridge in a pear tree. Now, here's the thing. I wonder if in 20 years we're going to remember them. And I wonder if maybe it might feel like those influencers we wanted to be like in middle school that we can't even remember their names 20 years from now. You realize we're about seven Sundays away from our presidential election, right? I know. I know. You don't want to talk about it, right? I'm not going to talk about it today. We're not going to, we're going to interrupt this series in October. By the way, we're going to hit the pause button because we want to do a series called Citizens. We want to talk about the politics of Jesus and allegiance to the kingdom of God and what that looks like. Um, So if you want to skip October, you skip four months. Here we are. But I would encourage you, we we need to engage that conversation. But, But not today. With that said, though, we are only seven Sundays out from that presidential election. And you realize that everything we are being fed politically right now about every candidate, doesn't matter which one, is built to enhance the influence of political voices in our lives. That's what is coming at us right now. Like, forget billions of followers. Right now, billions of dollars are being spent to enhance the influence that these individuals have over us. In many ways, when it comes to Trump or Biden or whoever, the strategic marketers behind their machines are engineering ways to draw us, watch this, to draw us toward their lunch table. That's what's happening. That's what's taking place. And that's how influence works. It's built like a tractor beam, pulling us, shifting us, adapting us. And you know what the hardest part of influence is? You know what the hardest part of, build, uh, of influence is? It's building your own influence. That's the most difficult part of the whole thing, Try, trying to build our own influence. It's exhausting. A, a few years ago, I was looking into what it would take to, to publish a book. I've done a lot of writing, and I was like, how do I get this out there? What is this? And it was so fascinating to me because everything I read said the shift that had taken place in the publishing industry. See, it used to be when people were publishing content, it was built on the content. They would say, you have good content. You have a great book, so we're going to publish this, and that will build your platform. 
that will give you the opportunity to then influence. You put the content out, and this will grow your opportunity for influence. Now, everything you read about publishing says, no, no, now you have to have the platform. We don't care about your content. Have the platform, the thousands of followers first, and then we can get you the content to put out. You see how this has shifted? Like most publishing companies won't even touch someone without X amount of Twitter followers or Instagram people. I, I don't know, the Twitter and the Instagram, whatever that is, right? So now in our world, more work goes into growing our influence than our substance. And it's so crazy because it's just like my middle school cafeteria memories. In a few years, I will have no idea what influence really looked like. But I, but I want you to think about this because I also thought about this this week. What I do remember about middle school, I remember the English teacher I had in seventh and eighth grade. And she didn't have much influence over me. Like, I didn't want to dress like her, which is a good thing. She had fuchsia lipstick. Like, didn't want that. I didn't want to talk like her. But she had incredible impact in my life. Her influence was small, but her impact was great. She, she taught me to write and to love writing. She gave me this gift of communication, and I found a voice. And without this woman's impact, I don't think I'd be doing what I am right now in this very moment. See, there's a difference, and I want you to grab this today. There's a difference between influence and impact. And the longer I'm around, the more I want to pursue impact. And the more I think that's what the kingdom of God is really all about. See, there's this thing about God's kingdom, and I think it's always been like this. For, for those of us who follow Jesus, I want you to get this today. This is the thing I want you to, to maybe write this down or just remember this, put this in your phone, whatever. Here's the principle that's so critical, and we're going to unpack this. See, when we grow our own influence, we have little impact. When we're fixated on developing our influence, we have such little impact. But here's the thing. When we grow the influence of Christ will have unprecedented impact. When we raise his influence in our lives, in our world, then the impact that we leave will be incredible. And we see this in this passage that I want to explore with you today. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 1. This is where we're going to start. We're going to kind of go through this chapter, the first part of this, and, and unpack this. Here's what it says in verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, let me lead into this story with a little bit of background because two weeks ago we talked to this. If you weren't here two weeks ago, we explored Acts chapter 3. And here's what happened in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John have healed this lame man. This lame man who is sitting at the temple, outside the temple, every day begging for money. And Peter and John have done this miraculous work and healed this man's life. And word is getting around, and they've got this audience. They've got this ability now to teach. And it tells us that these religious leaders, including the Sadducees, are greatly disturbed. Now, I want you to get this. It doesn't say that they're disturbed because this man was healed. It doesn't say that. It says they're disturbed because they're teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. You could say it this way. Healing was okay. Resurrection was not. Now, the question that you should ask here is why? Why are they disturbed that there's the hope of resurrection, that these apostles are teaching the resurrection? See, Sadducees were part of the religious body of Jewish, of Jewish religion at this time. And the Sadducees were so sad, you see, 
That was a Sunday school years and years and years ago. Because they did not believe that resurrection was real. They theologically, fundamentally, like if there was their church, the Sadducee church on the street, it would say, we have no room for resurrection. Things that die stay dead. The best you can do is live this life righteously. And then when you die, you're dead for good. There is no resurrection. And so this body that's greatly disturbed are full of high priests, Jewish aristocrats, people of great power, and by the way, incredible influence. They guarded the temple. They guarded the law. They, they had all the social status, all the political influence, all the economic power. And, and I want you to understand why they had a problem with resurrection because it's still the same problem that those with power and status and influence have with resurrection today. I want you to grab this as, as a part of our Christian faith. Resurrection has always been radical and dangerous to those who hold power. The hope of dead things coming back to life has always been radical and dangerous because resurrection attacks the status quo and threatens the existing powers. If Jesus had risen from the dead and paved the way for other dead things to come back to his life in his name, then what that meant was that one day in our world, all would be made right. All would come back to life. See, if resurrection is real, I want you to grab onto this. Those with the power to end life cannot guarantee they will always be in power. So here's what happens. Peter and John are seized. They're arrested. They're put in jail. And this is their first real opposition, the early church. This is the first time they face opposition. Peter, who had run away from Jesus when he was arrested, is now in the same position. But even as they're arrested, the Bible tells us in Acts that 5,000 people believe in the name of Christ. So in the face of opposition, 5,000 have come to faith. I love that. Look at verse 5. The next day, this is after they've been put in prison. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And then in verse 7, they have this meeting. Verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or by what name did you do this? How did this happen? This is the imperative, right? Listen to this. This is the question that matters when we talk about influence or impact. The authorities, the ones in power, they want to know the answer to this question. How in the world did you make this happen? What power? What name? And by the way, in this first century Jewish culture, names in this world, they had, they had incredible importance. In the Roman world, whatever name you functioned under, that was incredibly Important. It was a status piece. It was an influence piece. If they were working in Caesar's name, we're doing this in Caesar's name. It was authority. They were all good. This is what still happens in school, right? Like I learned this this week. If I find a kid walking in the hallway, who sent you? Whose name lets you out of class? Mrs. So-and-so, I know her. Then you are in her authority. You go to that restroom and spend an hour. You know what else I learned? I have no power, no authority. No one knows who I am. So I sent Johnny to the restroom. Who sent you? Dr. Bowers. Who is that? We don't know, right? <clears throat> Politically in our world, it's the same thing. Listen to the campaigns, right? How, how is this plan going to happen? Well, Trump's going to make it happen. It's the greatest thing ever. Biden's going to make it happen. It's the new direction. It's the best plan. It doesn't matter because it's all about them. It's all about their name. It's all about, as we sang, their solutions. So these authorities are asking these apostles, how did you do this? What name? And look at verse 8. 
It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. Now, don't blow over this part. Don't miss this. We're told that Peter, yes, that Peter, that failure Peter, that no influence Peter, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to speak authoritatively for Jesus' people. He's now under the influence of someone else. You remember when he failed, he was under his own influence, his fear, his shame, his doubt. And here he's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. What would you say here? If you had worked this healing, if you were Peter and you'd just done this incredible healing, what would you say when they say, how did you do this? What name? What, what would you do? I think I might be tempted. Like, you want to know how I did it? Go follow me on Facebook. Watch my curriculum. Go, go check that, that video stream on Instagram for more miracles. I've got a great feed on Twitter. I've got a book release scheduled for November. Make sure you follow me. But Peter doesn't worry about his influence. He focuses on impact. Watch what he says in verse 9. He says, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. Now, zero in on this. These next verses are, are basically four sermons in one, but I don't have time. But this is so rich. The rulers, the most influential people of the city are saying, how did you do this? And Peter, this former failure, stands up to them with this incredible response. And he starts it by saying, if, if you're holding us accountable because we were kind and we healed a lame man. Now just pause on that. How many times, think about this, how many times have you been part of a system intended for good that actually didn't do squat? You ever been part of that system? Like this lame man had been outside in the streets, but listen, he wasn't just out in the city streets. I think we'd like that. He was outside the government building. Yeah, government stinks. They fail at everything. He was outside the religious building. He had been out there for years and never been healed. And then when these guys show up and heal him outside the place where you went to worship the God who heals, they're arrested. I think we could say it this way. Your personal influence can be nothing but inflated ignorance. I'll say that again because I think some of us need to get this. When we grow our personal influence, it can be nothing but inflated ignorance. The temple and its leaders, they had all the influence in this culture. The temple was the centerpiece. It was the economic center of buying, selling. It was the social center. It was where status was spelled out. How far you went into the temple defined for people what ethnicity you were, what gender you were, how religious you were. The temple had all the political power. All the figureheads was there. But it was nothing but inflated ignorance. Think about this. How many of our figureheads today, political, celebrity, you, you pick your poison, whatever, have a ton of influence but nothing but inflated ignorance of the real healing that's needed around them? See, this religious system was not working. It was inflated ignorance. It was huge influence with no awareness. And Peter's calling it out, and so he spells out how he did this and what name he did this under. Here's what he says in verse 10. If, we've, if we're being held accountable for being kind to a lame man, healing this man, look at verse 10. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then he tells them who Jesus is. He says, Jesus is, and this is a quote from Psalm 118, by the way. This is, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. Now, this is so loaded, right? Like, if you're reading Luke and Acts together, as you should, the writer Luke writes both of them, this is theology center for Luke. Here, here's what he's talking about. 
It's so cool what Peter's doing. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is loaded politically, religiously. These folks saw all authority in Rome. Caesar had all the authority. Caesar was Lord. And then there was authority in Jerusalem, the, the temple leaders, but not Nazareth. Nothing good came from Nazareth. And if Peter had said, we did this in the name of Caesar, maybe. If he'd said, we come in the name of the temple or in the name of King David, they might have been okay with that. There was influence there. But Nazareth, this little farm community where nothing good comes out of. And then he quotes this thing from Psalm 118. And he reminds them that they had crucified Jesus, but, but God raised him from the dead. And then, and then he says, he's the stone, Psalm 118, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Now, you've got to understand what's being said here. In the middle of a community where the most influential building is the temple. Like, there's no other building that people gather around. It's the temple. Peter quotes a psalm about a stone that was rejected when they were building the temple. I want you to think about this. The builders of that day, they would take the stone that was the cornerstone, had to be the perfect stone. It had to be smooth and perfect edges. And they had to put that stone because it was going to hold the majority of the weight. And if you had an odd stone, you took the odd stone and you set it aside. You didn't use it for any of the important parts. You saved it till the end when you had holes to fill and you took those odd stones and you just plugged them in. Here's what he's saying. Jesus doesn't fit your system of influence. Jesus doesn't fit your temple. He doesn't fit your religious system. But you know what God's doing? He's taking this odd stone that is Jesus and he's building a new cornerstone. How did this man get healed? Peter says, in the name of Jesus, who's setting the world right. He's taking the stone that you plug in on top, wherever it fits in your life. By the way, there's a whole sermon there. Is Jesus the cornerstone or the little thing that fits your holes that you feel like you need to fill? And he says, God is taking this whole thing and he's flipping the temple upside down. He's setting the world right, which means your inflated ignorance built on your personal influence is about to be deflated. And then Peter goes on in verse 12. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, we're going to come back to this verse in just a second, but just know right now, it's the epicenter of Peter's speech. He looks at these religious leaders. He says, your whole system's flawed. It's not working. And in fact, it's not even going to save you. It's only going to happen in Christ. And here's their response. This is where I want to get to today. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary, not seminary, doctorate people. Mm, somebody say amen. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now watch what happens here about impact. The impact is they saw the courage. They saw these disciples, these lowly disciples, with boldness in the face of opposition, boldness in the face of empire, boldness in the face of their religious system. They, they saw Jesus and his spirit enabling these, these men to have courage, to stand up to systemic authority, to, to walk with clarity and a sharp edge. And then it says that they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. This is not about, listen, your influence, your impact is not about your own abilities. They were unschooled, ordinary men. Thank God, they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were not the rabbi up-and-comers. God uses the unlikely, the unschooled, the ordinary in incredible ways. And then it tells us they're astonished. They're amazed at what God alone can do because, listen, these men had been 
with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. When we grow our own influence, we have little impact. When we grow the influence of Christ, we'll have unprecedented impact. They were amazed. Unlikely guys had been with Jesus. They didn't like it, but as the writer goes on, if you read the rest of this passage, they couldn't argue it. They literally find themselves in a place where they're like, we have nothing to say. They healed this guy. What are we going to do? Deny that? So they tell them to leave, and they tell them, just stop teaching in this name. Don't speak or teach at all in Jesus' name. And the final response is where the impact of Peter and John comes from. Look at verse 19 as we wind this down. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? Which is right? And then they say, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Friends, we're faced with the opportunity to stand for right, and it always demands this higher allegiance, something outside the powers that be. I would say to you, there are many temples in our world, and there are many temples in our lives, many places of influence, but they have nothing but inflated ignorance. And we've got to wake up to that. So I want to give you four things very quickly as we wind up. How do we reset our influence? How do we move towards impact. Here's the first thing. Understand the cost of impact. Understand the cost of impact. If you go all in in what it means to be the church, what it means to be a follower of Christ, and you say, forget influence. I'm not worried about my influence anymore. I'm worried about building on this cornerstone that is Jesus. I want to impact the world. You have to understand the cost of that because just as these religious leaders were greatly disturbed, so will our world, so will the religious system of our world be greatly disturbed by the cost of following Christ. See, think about this. Influence thrives in corrupt systems. In corrupt systems, influence is easy to gain because we manipulate things to fit us. Systems and and governments and organizations and religious entities affect things in a way that we go, this is all about me, so I can make this corruption fit my world. But impact, impact overturns and confronts the corrupt systems. It disturbs them. Jesus always shows up in towns and people are like, he's messing with our way of being. Remember when when we taught earlier this year about the the demoniac and they begged him, this guy gets healed who has tormented their town. And they're like, hey, we liked it better when he was a mess and our pigs were happy. Can you get out of our town? See, the systems of the day, when we start to seek the impact of Christ, will always be disturbed. This is why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are told to bow down to the false idol, and they say, forget it. You can throw us in the fire. We're not bowing down to your corrupt system. you got to understand the cost of what living with Christ impact means. Here's the second thing. Understand the source of impact. It's by the name of Jesus. He says in verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to humanity by which we must be saved. See, if you're seeking your own influence, that starts with you. That starts with you. What picture can I put on social media that makes me look good? What filter can I use to make our family look perfect? How can I find something that makes my vacation look epic? That's us. And impact, influence starts with us. Impact eliminates us. Influence is about power. Impact is about elevating others. The authority for healing comes in Jesus' name. There is no other name. And I want to say to you, this is so incredibly unpopular in our Western world. People go, oh, you're one of those arrogant Christians. You're one of those exclusive Christians. Absolutely. Not because I hate you, because I love you enough to tell you the truth, that you will find salvation in no one else. 
And you know what? You know that's true when you're laying on your bed at night and the alcohol wears off, the addiction wears off, the false relationships wear off, the relationship breaks down, and you're lonely, you're scared, you're fearful, whatever it is, you know that there's salvation in none of those other things that you've pursued. See, what other temples are we protecting by denying the name of Jesus as the hope of salvation? And friends, church, followers of Christ, if you're here, you're a follower of Christ, I want to say to you one of the great temples that we are clinging to right now is our celebrity worship and our political idolatry. We've got to recognize that. Jesus is still the only one to provide salvation. And any influence you're going to have comes from the presence of Christ in your life. Here's the third thing. So not just the cost of impact, not just the source of impact. Understand the power of impact. They saw courage and they were astonished because they were, these were unschooled, ordinary men who had been with Jesus. You know what influence is filled with in our world today? Can I just tell you the truth? Noisy, educated, extraordinary people. That's what influence is filled with. Go back to that Instagram list. Noisy, educated, extraordinary people. You know what impact does in our world? It's courageous, unschooled, ordinary people who've been with Jesus. Who had the most impact in your life? What moment did you see someone in a light that you went, I will never forget that? I had a good mentor, a good friend in college, still a good friend. He was my resident director, and he took us on a trip, a mission trip to Jamaica. And we went to this place called the Poor House. And in their culture, in their society, the Poor House was where you went when society didn't know what to do with you. You didn't have enough resources. You had no money. You had no clothes. You had no mental health. And they put these people aside. They tucked them away. And we went and visited this poor house. And I remember looking and seeing this woman over the course of our day there who was in these tattered clothes. Her clothes could not even stay on her. It was awkward. She was mentally impaired. She had just terrible, she would, she would break into laughter or tears. It was just this awkward, uncontrollable thing that was going on over and over and over again. And as the day went on, the majority of our team, including me, did not know what to do with this person who felt like it was disturbing our peace in that place. And I watched my friend, as I looked at one point, lock arms with this woman and walk as her dress is falling open and walk with her and create a moment that mattered to her. It was an impact moment that I will never, forget because he was unschooled he was ordinary and he had been with Jesus and I think Jesus would have been with that woman see right here this moment that's that's an impact moment here's the final thing understand the effect of impact see here's the beauty of this whole thing influence if I gain my influence people are going to know me which I'll be honest I like that don't you don't you, doesn't it feel good when our phone beeps and tells us somebody liked something we put out there? I like that. But influence means they know me. You know what impact means? Impact means that people know Jesus. And that's way better. See, at the end of this story, this is where it ends. After further threats, so they keep threatening these apostles, they let them go. <laughs> We're going to get you. You knock it off. Stop teaching that. They let them go. They could not decide how to punish them. Here's why they couldn't decide. Here's what the scripture says. Because all the people were praising God for what had happened. All the people were praising God for what had happened. Paul says this in Galatians 1. He says, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea. Can you imagine being the apostle Paul and saying, nobody knew who I was. 
I was personally unknown to the churches that are in Christ. They only heard this report. Now watch. They only heard this report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And one of my favorite verses in Scripture, Paul says, and they praised God because of me. They praised God because of me. See, the, friends, the greatest gift that you will ever experience in your life is seeing others worship God because of your own faithfulness to his influence. That is the greatest gift you will ever receive is watching someone else experience Christ because of Christ's influence in your life. You impact them in a way that they go, holy cow, I'm praising Jesus because you existed in my life. I'm praising Jesus because of you. I'm praising God. There, there are things that I will never forget in my life because I've watched people lift their hands, worship God in response to what he does in their lives, and all I got to be was present. So what does this say to us? I'm going to have the band come, and I want you to think about this. I think there's key questions we have to ask about the impact of Christ. And they're simple questions. They're questions that we have been trained to ask our whole life. But I want you to answer these questions. I want you to resonate with these questions. I want you to reflect as we begin to worship and close this service. And if you haven't listened or heard anything else today, I want you to hear these questions. And I don't want this to just be a message that you go, oh, that sounded good. That felt good. I want this to be a message that you go, I can't walk out of here without naming some faces. Because friends, that's the first question. Who is it that doesn't need your influence, but needs Christ's impact? Who is it that you know right now? Who is the person that God brings to mind when I say, who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? Who's the person that you know that needs to return to Jesus? Who's the person that you know that you go to work with every day, that you go to school with every day, that you, that, that you can't help but think of, that, that you are called to impact? By the way, if your heart is burdened for someone, that's calling. That's God's spirit. It's not magical revelation that Jesus goes, hey, I know you're on the bathroom, but I want you to wake up and go preach to this person. That's not how it works. It's God breaking our heart for people. Who is it? Here's the second question. Where? Where are they? Where are they? Where are they right now? Where are they going to be tomorrow? Where are they going to spend time? Will you go to those places? Will you invest time in someone's life? Who, where? Here's the third question. Why? Why should you care about this? See, friends, if your faith just boils down to you getting out of this corrupt world and going to heaven someday, you shouldn't. You shouldn't care. But if your faith tells you the whole story of Scripture and says that the kingdom of God is advancing in our world and is continuing to dominate the dominion of darkness, amen, then you should definitely care. You should know your why, that Jesus sent you because Jesus wants to save them. Who, where, why, when, when can you invest? When can you take a step this week? When can you actually take a step and say, it's time, it's time. It's time for me to wake up 10 minutes early and just pray to this person for this person. It's time for me to go to their, their room or wherever they are, wherever they work, to go to my friend at lunch, to call someone, to text to someone, to say, it's time for me to tell you I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm here. And then how? How are you going to do that? This is where most Christians in our world today break down because we get freaked out. I don't know how to do this. How are you going to do 
this? Well, we go right back to this passage. In the name of Jesus, through the power of his spirit. Are you unschooled? Are you ordinary? God, build a church of 5,000 on those type of people. How are you going to do this? Just be with Jesus. That's what these religious leaders noticed. They, 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 they said they're unschooled, they're ordinary, but they've been with Jesus. There's something about that. You want to know how to reach that person that your heart breaks for? Get up and spend time with Jesus. Get up and spend time with Jesus. Shut your social media off. You spend a whole lot of time with that. Spend time with Jesus and watch people start to take notice because what we spend time with, who we spend time with, we start to look like that. We start to act like that. As we close today, I was so blown away this week. I heard a story as, as I was entering middle school again for the first time of a guy in Florida who, when he came to the U.S. from Haiti as an immigrant, he was not welcomed as a little eight or nine-year-old. And he sat alone at lunch every single day. If you've ever been in that position, you know how painful and lonely that can be. And as he got older and he got to high school, he said, I want to do something about this. And he created a club called We Dine Together. And every day on this campus of 3,400 students, he and his friends would go out and they would intentionally separate themselves and they would go to lunch tables where they saw people sitting alone and they would introduce themselves and they would say, we, I'm so-and-so and I just want to meet you. If you want to come have lunch with me, I'm here. Let's go, let's go have lunch. And they began this revolution of culture in their school. And guess what? Now nationwide, there's over a hundred We Dine Together clubs because they're spending time saying, we want to be with the ones who are cast out. Can you imagine if the church took this on? Sometimes I feel like the church is this middle school lunch table and we say everybody's welcome. But man, we're really comfortable in our seats. And I think we need to move in this. We're going to close with this song. And the lyrics in this song say that I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. With selfless faith. And I see a near revival stirring as we pray and seek. There's this bridge that says, open up our eyes to the things unseen. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Friends, I wonder if you're courageous enough to break your heart today, to pray that prayer. To say, God, show me the who, the where, the when, and the how, and give me my why. And ruin me from the ordinary. Don't let me be seeking my own influence. Help me seek your impact. Let's stand and pray together.